welcome to this very spine tingling episode of Mystics and Molder. Podcast at the intersection of faith and popular culture. I'm Sarah. I'm Maeve. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I am so, literally every time I say this about every episode, and it's genuinely true every time, I am so excited to just be talking about our favorite Halloween horror scary movies today. We're just like going to be very casual, kind of like our vampires versus werewolves episode last year. If you listened to it, if you didn't, feel free to go back and give that a (laughs) listen. It's full of goofs and nonsense. (laughs) And today we're just, we're trying to convince the other of why our favorite scary movie is the superior um and neither of us know what the (laughs) what the other one is talking about so it should be good (laughs) i'm excited so if you listen to our last halloween episode from 2020 you know that we were on two different sides i was team werewolf and you were team vampire and we tried to convince each other so we're sticking with mystics and wilder tradition I'm so yes. happy. And we, like you said, we don't know which movies we've picked. So yes. Yeah. All reactions are live. <laughs> live and genuine <laughs> reactions. <laughs> We're, I think we decided to uh, flip a coin to see which one of us goes first. Maeve, do you want heads or tails? Tails. Tails. Okay. Big money, big money. No wins. <laughs> Yahtzee. Okay. It was heads. That's fine. Yay. So I will go first. Cool. But before we get started, today, the day we are recording, October 23rd, is the first day of Scorpio season. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Maeve, where is Scorpio on your chart? I'm curious. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything. So our friend Sophie, who was in, um, on our Hadestown episode, did my birth chart, but I don't remember. That's okay. But I know Scorpios are water signs, so we have that. I'm a Pisces, Mm -hmm. so we have that connection. Um, My coworker was telling me about Scorpio season. She's really into astrology, and she was saying that it's a perfect time leaving Libra season, which is all about, like, beauty and aesthetics and decision-making. Scorpio season is kind of accepting where you're at and also a preparation for the darkness of winter Mm. and the death that's going to come um, in this season with fall and winter. And it's perfect for like, she said, um, like the gnarliest parts of our lives to uncover those and accept them. So it sounds like you, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I mean, I think, okay. So I, my, I am a Scorpio sun Leo rising. So Wow. There's a lot going on. (laughs) Well, if I could just just talk about my chart for a second. (laughs) Please do. Please do. Okay, so I am actually on the cusp between Scorpio and Sagittarius, which I feel like is very, like, very fitting for me. And that cusp Mm -hmm. is called the cusp of revolution. (gasps) I love it. Let me tell you, as a Marxist, I love it. (laughs) Orpheus over here. I I mean, yeah. And it's so yeah. I am very excited to 
embrace my my son in this season. After hearing from our mutual friend Mary about how CoStar <laughs> has isn't great, I have I have downloaded a different one, which is Chani or Chani. I don't know how to pronounce it. And I was just listening to my um like your weather report. Yeah, I guess so. Like yeah, my reading. I think mm-hmm. that's what they call it on there. And yeah, it was talking about like, hold on, let me find my notes. What I wrote was like a reflection of like, what have you done over the past six months? And like, how can you celebrate that? And there's a lot of, it's a good time mm-hmm. to like go bold into things, kind of like what you were saying. So like pushing in areas of like academia mm-hmm. and writing and especially since we are leaving or have already left mm-hmm. like retrograde, it's a good time to put your thoughts out and like maybe an end to some writer's yes. block, which I've been feeling that, you know, some like issues with creativity. So all this to say, <laughs> happy Scorpio season. Happy Scorpio season. So at work, we all drew a card. There was like a little circle of us, about eight mm-hmm. people or so. And almost all of us got swords, which is <gasps> like intellect or yes. um, intelligence and like, yeah, creative pursuits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt that. I felt like I've been needing to reclaim some of that and make that more of a priority because I've prioritized mm-hmm. other parts of my life and that's been lacking. So yeah, mm-hmm. this season is is great for me. My horoscope keeps telling me that I'm in the process of building which it Ooh. feels like good, like academic yeah. career language. So I'm excited. I love the season. I, mm-hmm. yeah, can't wait. Good time to like be bold and, mm-hmm. and allow all those manifestations to fruition, I guess. Yeah. I don't really know a lot about astrology, <laughs> but based on my <laughs> weather report, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you sound like an expert. So you fooled Thanks. me. <laughs> You know me. (laughs) (laughs) Now on to talking about our movies. Okay. My movie is Crimson Peak. (laughs) Is that yours? Okay, I'm good. so happy. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't wait. Crimson Peak is a 2015 horror romance gothic film by a great Mexican director, Guillermo del Toro, who also directed movies like Shape of Water and Pan's Labyrinth, which <laughs> reminded me <laughs> in the latest episode, or I guess the Halloween episode for Bob's Burgers this season. <laughs> <gasps> oh, I haven't seen it yet. I'll just tell you this this little part. Uh, you know how they always have like really good costumes. Yeah. So Louise was um, Peter Pan's labyrinth. Oh <laughs> my god! And so she dressed up as Peter Pan and then put um, uh, eyes on her palms and then put her That's palms so up to good. her face like the creature in uh, in Pan's labyrinth. It was so good. <laughs> okay, so this movie has. The ever wonderful mm-hmm. Tom Hiddleston in it. Mia Wasikowska. I never know how to say her last name. Mm-hmm. And Jessica Chastain. So the plot to this movie is 
after marrying the charming and sedu- seductive mm. Sir Thomas Sharp, young Edith finds herself swept away to his romantic Gothic mansion in the English hills. Also living there is Lady Lucille, Thomas's alluring sister and protector of her family's dark secrets. Able to communicate with the dead, Edith tries to decipher the mystery behind the ghostly visions that haunt her new home. As she comes closer to the truth, Edith may learn that true monsters are made of flesh and blood. So this movie has all of your favorite gothic horror tropes. A mysterious and handsome man in a cravat. Check. (laughs) Check. (laughs) A woman named Edith who wants to be a writer. (laughs) like all gothic heroines (laughs) just you know that classic uh classic edith Mm -hmm. um who is also low-key clairvoyant i feel like there's a lot of like in um mansfield park no northanger abbey northanger abbey thank you yeah she wants to be a writer that's true Mm -hmm. she's not a clairvoyant though but she i feel like she'd want to be oh yeah Um, a creepy old house that is Mm. falling apart jealous lovers (laughs) uh failing industry oh yeah um some slight steampunk vibes Um, a ton of steampunk vibes oh yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. there's an elevator in the house um (laughs) this is under steampunk vibes Mm, indent new new uh Uh, and then he's also Tom Holland. Not Tom. Tom uh, <laughs> I always do that. I always accidentally call him Tom Holland. <laughs> um, Tom Hiddleston is a, a tinker. He like mm-hmm. fixes or makes toys, like little automaton. Uh, oh, right. That is very steampunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bad weather. Classic <laughs> gothic novel. The snow. Oh, Come the on. The snow. Mm-hmm. With blood in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, weird incest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. last but not least, ghosts. Many ghosts. <laughs> Many ghosts. Um, creepy basements. Mm-hmm. Creepy basements. And uh, I will, I should probably have said this at the top, but this is spoilerama. So <laughs> <laughs> lots of spoilers. Thomas Sharp, the uh, main character opposite of, um, Edith, he seduces and marries young rich women with few family connections to then later kill them and inherit all their money to essentially fix their family's failing like (laughs) clay extraction business, (laughs) which sounds like sounds weird, but I guess it works because the clay is red and it makes everything look very spooky and like blood. I'm reminded, too, of a book that we also both like, Mexican Gothic, just because they have similar tropes of um, weird Mm -hmm. family dynamics, um, people trying to kill other people that they've married. Mm -hmm. So with all of that, this is that is all why I think Crimson Peak is the best. Uh, Tom Hiddleston is doing a lot of the (laughs) the major work for why this is the best. (laughs) um love a good gothic storyline and then of course she gets saved in the end so kind of a happy ending oh yeah 
he does this in all of his all of his movies the way that Guillermo del Toro plays with light and color I think is really dynamic and kind of pulls you into his world um, and his vision so yeah that's Crimson Peak (laughs) I'm so happy you chose this did you know there's a novelization of Crimson Crimson Peak that they released like to promote no I did not yeah they hired a writer yeah you can buy buy it it. wow I wonder (laughs) I wonder how closely it follows the movie plot I think it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh Wow. Incredible. I don't even know where to begin. So what is it about like the gothic tropes that you like, Sarah? First thought. I think it's this movie particular. Some people were saying like, oh, this isn't a horror film. Like this isn't scary enough, blah, 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 blah. When like really something that I appreciate about gothic stories is that it's very character driven and it's not gory which I don't I cannot do gory films and I mean romance love it we love love um ghosts great so Mm -hmm. this combination of like psychological I guess Mm -hmm. but also paranormal Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like the scariest thing is actually yeah. other people, you know, that kind of like <laughs> psychological thriller in some sense, but then it also combines paranormal and often mm-hmm. in Gothic and romantic literature and films that the way that nature plays a part, I, I really appreciate. Like in Jane Eyre, when they, when they, are engaged and then there's a lightning bolt on the tree you know it's like oh yeah. bad things to happen foreshadowing yep so I think all of that is why I really like this movie Did, do you know what thunder is in Koine Greek isn't it Bronte it is yeah <laughs> I think I remember you telling me that when you learned it that's the only thing I remember from Greek because I like the Bronte sisters. That's right. I mean, the most important thing to learn. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Like, and I don't know how it's very domestic as well. Like I always really like domestic dramas and yeah, psychological thrillers that happen in the house, even like Rosemary's baby. I like a lot because a lot of that just takes place inside a house and I wonder if maybe like Mexican Gothic was so important to me for like, it was like my <laughs> my special interest for like a month and I couldn't stop thinking about it because, um, because we were all locked inside and that came out like around the election of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> so there's something about that tradition feeling really important right now as we're still in the pandemic, at least for me. Like you were saying about domesticity and kind of that the horror within that I'm reminded of another one of my favorite Mm -hmm. stories the yellow wallpaper which is for folks who don't know uh, a short story about this woman Mm -hmm. who is sick and essentially her husband he takes her away to this uh, house out in nature so she can 
get better from hysteria essentially is what I think what they call it but um they don't treat her as a person and they poke and prod her and lock her in this room and she sees these shadows moving in the wallpaper and there's this really creepy scene where she has walked around the room with her shoulder against the wall and she's like created this line on the wallpaper and then at the end of the story she kind of becomes part of the wallpaper um Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people talk about that in terms of like heteronormative relationships and the the confinement of of women within domestic heteronormative relationships so there's a, there's just a lot there it's good. that's yeah i was just going to bring that up that a huge theme within gothic literature um or just a gothic tradition is <laughs> men with secrets mm-hmm. and then i put in parentheses the patriarchy <laughs> <laughs> um so what are your thoughts on that especially in terms of tom hiddleston's character Ooh. My first reaction is, well, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, especially in this movie, because she faces the consequences of him having secrets and of him having essentially control over her because they're married and she kind of, he kind of controls everything that she does within that. I mean, whatever, whenever. In the early 19 when when did when was this set 18 late 1800 it's kind of amorphous <laughs> it's supposed yeah i think they were trying to go for late 1800s but they have cars from the 1900s and some of the clothes is from the fir- are from the first decade of the 1900s this is like my big <laughs> issue is that it could span anywhere from like 1875 to like 1910 right. yeah, it just it's kind of all over the place it's a I mean, maybe that's for like an aesthetic reason and to think about how Tom Hiddleston and his creepy house and his sister are all kind of in the past and they're keeping in this tradition where like, you know, modernity is going on as we Mm -hmm. get into um, the first half of the 20th century. Yeah. You can read it that way or you can read it as like they did not hire a good fashion (laughs) historian. (laughs) Yeah. In like kind of a time out of time place, place out of time. Um, or just yeah, <laughs> bad. But um, well, because so he she faces the consequences of his power dynamics, which I mean is just patriarchy. Mm-hmm. But then what's interesting and complicates that is that his sister is kind of the one orchestrating the whole thing and like pulling mm-hmm. the string. So, like, what does that mean and is this is this a like a vindication against women who are trying to take control Mm. of their own lives or is this a a kind of sick and like twisted way of being like women like Mm. (laughs) take charge take the reins of your own (laughs) life and live the best you can within this patriarchal society we love a gothic girl boss (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she got the girl boss too close to the sun 
in the end, he like really does fall in love with her, but it's not enough to save her. And then she oh, has yeah. to be saved by some other man's. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting mm. dynamics going on that I think could be read from a variety of points. Yeah, I forgot Charlie Hunnam was even in that. The one who saves her, his name is like Paul or something. Yeah, something or like that. It's something terrible. <laughs> Paul. No yeah. offense to Pauls, but yeah. I think he's like an optometrist or something. I don't know. <laughs> He's not very excited. Yeah, that's right. He's not, yeah, not exactly like the romance hero you'd expect. No, not the yeah. romance hero you want, but the romance hero you deserve. <laughs> I hope Guillermo del Toro makes uh, like a Midnight Sun version of this, where it's just from <laughs> Charlie Hunnam's perspective, Paul's perspective. Yeah, I would watch that for sure. Just like walking 16 miles in the snow when it takes him like 45 oh minutes or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, there's no way you can walk there. And he's like, oh, but I'm going to try. I'm an optometrist. I'm an optometrist. I have stamina. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say about Jessica Chastain's character that it's interesting that she is is she his twin or is she just close in age his sister Ooh, that's a good question um i don't think they're twins but they might be i don't think so well but i feel like the role that you were describing this kind of menacing manipulative woman who wants to keep the tradition and is kind of babying the man of the house who is the villain slash hero, depending on how the story turns out, the man with secrets, so Tom Hiddleston's character, that it's often like a motherly figure and not a sister and not someone around the same age. So it's interesting that they took that trope, but <laughs> they just like kind of placed on Jessica Chastain. And I don't think they did anything subversive with it. Like you were saying, Sarah, I was like, I mean, this kind of seems like a repeat of something that you could be like, oh, girl boss. But overall, it's just like, yeah, this is a villain we've seen all the time. She just happens to be Jessica Chastain. Yeah. I think I would have liked to have seen like a fresher take on that. Yeah, it, it, it definitely paints a, a, a bad picture of her. Oh, any woman who tries to... I mean, obviously what she was doing was bad, right? Like you're not supposed, like don't seduce people just to marry them for their money and then kill them. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but like any woman who, mm -hmm. I don't know if uses is the right word, but as part of her plan has men acting out her commands is therefore some sort of demonic temptress, but also- mm -hmm she's crossed this boundary line of what is correct for women yeah it's not the best feminist movie but i still like it <laughs> i mean the patriarchy is the scariest thing of all so Ooh, there we go folks you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> i buy i buy that it's a halloween movie and a christmas movie 
because of the snow. Oh, okay. A winter movie. Winter movie, yeah. Yeah. Although I watched it in the summer last time I watched it. Mm-hmm. It's an all seasons it's movie. All, a film for all seasons. <laughs> <laughs> the patriarchy was the true monster the whole time. <laughs> that actually segues well into my pick. Oh, yes, you yes, something. yes, yes. Okay, so we're going to play a little guessing game. Okay. So, Sarah, yes. what can you guess which movie I've picked? I know you know what it is, but I don't know if you've seen the movie adaptation. Oh, so it's from a book? It's a musical. Is it Sweeney Todd? Oh, actually, that would have been good. No, it's not. I'll give you a hint. Okay. Dungeon. <gasps> did you <laughs> did you book Phantom of the Opera? I yeah, I did. <gasps> Good guess. Brilliant. It took you one word. Brilliant. One word. Oh, my second babe. one was gonna be Christine. <laughs> Christine. Oh my gosh, that is spectacular. Wow. I have picked the 2004 Joel Schumacher Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Starring Emmy Rossum. Uh, Patrick Wilson, Gerard Butler. So, Sarah, for people who don't know what Phantom of the Opera is, can you give a little synopsis, since I know you love it just as much as I do? Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. So, essentially, it's about this young woman who is a ballerina slash chorus girl I don't even know what her real role is in the Paris opera troupe Mm -hmm. company that plays in the Paris opera house Mm -hmm. and there is this (laughs) um man who lives (laughs) in the basement essentially in like the weird sewer system of the Paris Opera House and he's he has some sort of injury or like deformity in his face it's not really clear (laughs) and his name is Eric (laughs) I always forget that his name is Eric (laughs) Um, and he wears half a mask to cover up his face and He becomes the tutor or singing instructor for the young woman, Christine. She thinks that he is the angel of music that her father promised would be with her before he died. And then one day she meets the phantom. He takes her through the mirror (laughs) into his dungeon house. (laughs) And there's also a boat (laughs) and lots of candles and he's in love with her and she's in love with the idea of him, but he ends up murdering a bunch of people and he's not a great person in general, but also it's hard because it like stems from a lot of childhood rejection and he like doesn't understand how to be a good person and There's like a love triangle between her, the phantom of the opera, and her 
like childhood romance friend Raul and in the end the phantom dies and Christine and Raul get married (laughs) that was excellent oh thank you (laughs) that was an incredible that was literally yeah thank you all the highlights all the major plot points wow good job Sarah sorry can I interject one thing okay so for the Mm -hmm. first time the other night I watched The Conjuring (gasps) and the guy (gasps) yeah I know is Okay, so Mae already knows what I'm about to say because we share the same brain cell, but I will tell everyone. The the man who plays um oh, what's wow. their last name? The is that the ghost hunter mm-hmm. person is the same actor as the actor who plays Raul. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was watching the other day, I was like, Raul, is that you? <laughs> what are you doing? Where's Christine? You cut your hair so short. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Patrick Wilson. I love that. Uh, it's very good. Anyway, <laughs> please continue with no, Fan of the Opera. That's great. Okay, so I have five reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, one, this is a Halloween movie because I'm sure like with Crimson Peak, people will say that's not a Halloween movie. It's like a romance. That's a drama. That's a musical. Da, da, da. They're wrong. It is a Halloween movie. Um, and two, I'm going to convince you why it's the best Halloween movie. (laughs) So my first, the motif, you may say, of disguise through masks and costumes. And what do we do on Halloween? We put on a mask, we put on a costume, we're someone else that we normally are not. As you said, Sarah, the Phantom always has a little mask on until the end when his injury has been revealed and we see the true self, the true side of the Phantom um, outside of the performative nature that he's been putting on for years and years. Masquerade is the first song that opens the second act. It's loud, it's lively, it's setting up the themes for the entire show and calling back certain themes earlier in the show. It's a huge song. Also opera, like there are several operatic songs like Poor Fool, He Makes Me Laugh, Don Juan, and they actually perform these in the shows and on stage and past the point of no return, I mean. Can we just <laughs> Phantom dressed up as like a skeleton devil man? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so that's number one. Do you have any responses? I'll give you a chance to respond after. Oh, each. this is really like debate, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Crack my fingers. Mm-hmm. Twirl my pen Shake between my, <laughs> my fingers like a real debater. Oh boy. <clears throat> Model UN. I agree. Continue. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. All right. Point number two, death and graveyard motif. Mm -hmm. Phantom literally kills people blatantly, like in Don Juan. Mm -hmm. He breaks down the chandelier that I'm sure killed a few people. In one of the best songs of all time, Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again, Christine is in a graveyard singing to her dead father. And I know what you're thinking, but Maeve, it's snowing in that scene and for most of the movie. And to that, I reply, I'm not an expert in French climate <laughs> and neither was Joel Schumacher. <laughs> it can snow on Halloween. It can snow in late October. It's happened many times before. Mm-hmm. We know that this could plausibly take place in mid or late fall. 
So here we got that. We got the spooky season. Mm -hmm. We've got Christine singing to her dead father. Mm -hmm. We have people literally dying. And then the part that I really want to bring up in the movie, Phantom and Raoul literally fight on tombs in the sword fight reprise. They fight on tombs. I don't know how much more explicit (laughs) I need to be that this is a Halloween movie. (laughs) Any thoughts, Sarah? I mean, okay. I think, okay. Yes, and... (laughs) Things can be, I don't think something necessarily has to be set in like September, October, November for them to be scary. You know, like all those slasher comics, slasher films (laughs) about, I don't know how slasher comics in there, slasher films about like summer camps, summer camp, camp. (laughs) Uh, and those are scary, you know? Yeah, so those are scary. And okay, also the fact that I forgot <laughs> that they have a duel on <laughs> headstones is very troubling to me because that is incredible. How could I have forgotten that almost like if the princess bride were a scary movie? It, it is yeah like yeah. that yes is, wow incredible and I'm very glad that you reminded me of that does that mean that Wesley and Raoul are supposed to be the same character Ooh, maybe I mean there's no like phantom mm, I don't know maybe the prince is the bad guy but the prince isn't the one he's not having the duel in Princess Bride I don't know I, I don't, I, there's something here though. There's something. This is the beginning of a there. thesis statement. Yeah. <laughs> In our next paper, we will. <laughs> All right, let's, let's scoot on over to the third point, which is the Phantom's Lair, aka the dungeon, aka the sewer, aka the basement of a building. <laughs> and we see this in Phantom of the Opera, the song. And music of the night especially and we come back to it at the end of the movie whatever there are candles thousands upon candles. thousands of candles spooky candles long candles loose shirts go <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. on um i'm just gonna leave it at that i'm not gonna say anymore about the loose shirts River. You know, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Continue. All no, I, was gonna, go. I was just going to say what? Okay. I love the combination of the two, mm. but it is a miracle in my mind oh my that God. nothing <laughs> caught on fire. <laughs> Their loose shirts didn't catch on fire. That's really smart. I mean, it's because there's a bunch of water and like rat water. And so oh. if it had gone by, they could have just chucked it into the, the rat water. That's true. Hazard proof. <laughs> no problem here. My work is done. <laughs> uh, River of Sticks. They're going to the underworld. That's what that freaking boat is in my mind. But it's okay. also because they have to get through the rat water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, tiny figurines. I don't like puppets. I have a little bit of a puppet phobia. So oh, that's always scary for me. The monkey that claps. 
scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh god! <laughs> At the beginning of the movie? Yes. I hate it. about that. that oh, is scary. it's very scary. Um, yeah, so the lair is very, very Halloween themed. I feel like if I went to like a haunted amusement park, it could be its own little destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would pay $15 plus like a drink to hang out in the Phantom's Lair on October 31st at, I don't know, Six Flags. Where, where do you go for, <laughs> where do you go for these things? Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> um, any, any thoughts on point number three? I am, I am being convinced. Okay. Point four, it's a terrible movie. Um, (laughs) so I don't want to speak ill of Joel Schumacher who did pass in 2020 but this is a terrible it's not even just terrible it's just incredibly boring but I still love it it's so bad that it's unintentionally camp like it's so campy like those 80s slasher summer camp movies camp camp it's sloppy (laughs) it doesn't make sense they have close-ups where there shouldn't be close-ups and wide shots when there shouldn't be wide shots it makes no thematic the aesthetics and the themes do not go together but i will say there are some scary low shots at bizarre angles it looks like joel schumacher dropped the camera on the floor and then ran away it was like this angle exquisite Oh my goodness. The framing device. You know what the framing device is? The monkey that claps, which we stated in a previous Mm -hmm. example. That's very scary. And so that's, it's the bookends, you know? Because they're auctioning off the like chandelier, right? Mm -hmm. That's the opening of it. They're auctioning off parts of the, Mm -hmm. um, the opera house. Okay. So for Joel Schumacher, the director, he has a horror precedent and then also development in his career. Sarah, have you seen the movie The Lost Boys from 1987? It's a vampire coming of age, horror, so fun. We should watch it. Like we should watch it and do like a episode on it. It's fantastic. Anyways, horror. This is a stretch a little bit, but Schumacher was selected by Warner Brothers in 1993 to replace Tim Burton as the director of the Batman franchise, King of Horror, I mean, not really, King of Spook, King of Halloween, Tim Burton. So he's following in those footsteps. And those movies are also atrocious. So spooky in their own way. And then this is a very important point for his development. He straight up directed a horror movie called Blood Creek in 2009. So Joel had been in (laughs) dabbling in horror for time. And I will use this as evidence that this is truly a scary movie. Mm. Now I want to show you the scariest of all. (laughs) Would you be so kind as to let me share my screen? Yes. Can I make one comment? Yes, please. I would love nothing more. I would say that if it were a head-to-head combat between... (laughs) Combat. Or, you know, movie combat uh, between... Mm -hmm. What's his name? The director of Family Opera? Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher. Shut up. Joel. Versus <laughs> Guillermo del Toro 
Guillermo de Toro would win oh, hands down. He would win. He would win hands down. A hundred percent. No question. So nobody's debating that, Sarah. We already know. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, now let's move on to my point. Um, Gerard <laughs> Gerard Butler's singing voice is more nightmarish than Midsummer. I was going to ask if okay, literally, I've been waiting the whole time to be like, okay, but can we talk about how bad Gerard <laughs> Butler was in this movie? <laughs> So Gerard Butler is the Phantom, and as you put it earlier, he's a singing teacher, so he is supposed to be an expert in the craft. He's been secretly training Christine for a long time, and now she is so good that Emmy Rossum has upstaged Minnie Driver playing Carlotta, and we know that would never happen. (laughs) Are we really meant to believe that Gerard Butler is the Phantom based on his voice alone? Now I'm going to play you. Oh dear. <laughs> and it'll be 30 seconds. So it like we're good. Our legal team uh briefed me on this and said we're fine. I wonder why they picked Gerard Butler. Okay. So like did they just pick him for his name? Because if you want his face <laughs> to be in that movie, this is the wrong movie to have a lot of face time for Gerard Butler because half of his <laughs> freaking face is hidden the entire time. <laughs> You're 100% right, and I'm glad you brought that up. So now we're going to play the clip. Sing once again with me A strange duet My power over you Grows stronger yet And though you turn from me it <laughs> yeah it's very bad it's like Les Mis when they got Russell Crowe I was to play. literally going mm-hmm. to say the same thing it's Russell Crowe and Les Mis bad but maybe even worse yeah because there's so much screaming and yeah Russell Crowe's character isn't trying to be a singing teacher <laughs> he's right. a soldier or lieutenant or yeah. whatever see this is why on my phone, I have downloaded the 1987 version mm. soundtrack because so good because uh, what's his face ruined it. True, yeah. The original Broadway Phantom is perfect mm-hmm. because he's so subtly creepy, mm-hmm. and a lot of Phantoms that I've seen since are just so over the top and loud and like hyper masculine. Yeah. Whereas the original Broadway Phantom was very much like this kind of like quiet, you know, menacing, but Mm -hmm. like in a subtle and like soft way, Yeah, which I think is perfect. Like to me, that's a lot creepier than Gerard Butler just like shouting. Yeah. Anyways. Because he's trying to too like be seductive. Mm-hmm. And that if you just shout at someone, <laughs> that's not, <laughs> love me. Yeah. Like that's not, <laughs> I mean, I guess for some people, but I don't think for the majority of people, shouting at someone is going to get them <laughs> to love you. Yeah, no. Okay, Sarah, are you ready for my last point? <laughs> 
Yes. It's the same last point that you made for Crimson Peak, that the patriarchy is the scariest villain of all. (laughs) (laughs) I invite our listeners to watch the 2004 movie adaptation of Phantom of the Opera as if it were a Halloween slasher movie with Christine as the last girl. Ooh, she does have strong last girl energy. She does. Do you want to explain what last girl is for people who don't know what that is? Wait, is it last girl or final girl? Oh, final girl. Final girl. She has big final girl energy. So final girl is usually, well, it's the last woman who lives in a, usually some sort of slasher movie like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Saw. Um, And she, I think part of it is that she lives because she kind Mm, of sells mm -hmm. other people out. I think that sometimes is part of it. Like she, uh, I don't know. She's not necessarily the strongest or bravest or smartest, but somehow she ends up living anyway. She's like the purest. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, which is definitely Christine. Like -hmm. Christine's innocence and naivete and inexperience are all part of her character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's also strong themes of paternalism. The phantom tries to seduce her by pretending to kind of be her dad, like the person that the dad would have chosen. So he's like a fatherly substitute, but trying to get with her at the same time. Gross. There's a lot of control and manipulation and a ton of gaslighting from Raoul. I was listening to it again. And there's a whole song. Yeah. Really two songs where he's like, what you're experiencing isn't real. There is no such thing as the phantom. Everything is just an illusion. Like you're wrong, Christine, you're making this up. And then she kind of agrees with him and they turn that into a love duet. (laughs) And, um, it's not great. Like he doesn't believe her, even though these things are clearly happening and they've been talking about it in the opera for a very long time. Terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say about how, this is a note I have, how systemic patriarchy made Phantom and Raoul the ding-dongs they are? <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about The ding-dong? <laughs> Within the movie is that classic trope of bad boy versus the safe guy and safe as in like he will keep you safe and he's kind of boring um and it's interesting too because the phantom makes this point that Raul only loved her like once he heard Mm. her singing but the phantom like loved her even before Mm -hmm. that and it's on one hand that's true. He really, do- he doesn't seem to love her for who she is, but he loves her voice. And Phantom loved her potential. And so both, both ways there, she's not appreciated mm-hmm. or understood as a full person. What do you think it says about us that we chose <laughs> two movies <laughs> where there's a good guy, a bad guy, the bad guy's revealed, <laughs> there's a fight, bad guy's destroyed, and then the good guy saves the poor innocent girl <laughs> i mean it's kind of right there on the tin huh <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's also like almost every horror movie though yeah scary movie yeah 
and it's there's no uh rarely in horror movies are do they have the bad boy gone good bad boy with a heart of gold trope yeah it's always bad boy stays bad (laughs) bad boy bad boy boy gets badder (laughs) (laughs) oh I love this character development I know which I guess like right like you can't have that character arc in a horror movie in like in a movie like that because Mm -hmm. that makes for some sort of redemption yeah okay this actually I was reading a a Sojourner's article the other day. Let me pull it up Ooh. about uh, this pastor who was talking about why he likes to watch horror movies and how it's kind of a spiritual practice for Ooh, him. Oh, cool. Okay. It's the article is called I'm a pastor who loves horror films. Here's why by J.R. Foresteros. I'll just read the last few parts of his article, but it says the slasher has morphed from a monster that reinforces patriarchy to a site of resistance and revolution. Horror can be a tool for liberation. This is true outside of the United States as well. Guatemalan film La, La Llorona is a ghost story that grapples with the legacy of genocide, while Silvia Moreno Garcia's novel Mexican Gothic meditates on the legacy of colonialism. So what does this all mean for churches? Horror by nature unsettles us. That's what those twist endings in the Goosebumps books were all about. Horror insists that the monster is under the bed, that the call is coming from inside the house. Horror disrupts our safe spaces, unsettles our calm and quiet. Perhaps that's why we think horror is the enemy of religion. After all, many many of us turn to religion for comfort and security. Horror is designed to disrupt comfort, to insist that all is not, in fact, okay. Horror is about twist endings, not happy endings. So he goes on to say, horror can create space for us to lament. If we sit with our monsters, we might find that the calm we have mistaken for peace shields us not from outside terrors, but from our own sins. Those monsters turn out to be those we oppress, their mouths open not to destroy, but to cry for justice. Uh, And he ends us with, but the cross creates the most shocking twist of all. God became monstrous for our sakes. How then can we justify crucifying those we find monstrous? As Jesus warns, they might turn out to be him. That's an incredible piece. I was shocked. It's very good. Yeah. Wow. I especially love Mm -hmm. the calls coming from inside the house is like an, Mm -hmm. you know, a way to incite revolution and to look closely at our own actions and our yep. own ways of perpetuating oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. That's also what um, the things we lost in the fire, one of the mm. like main themes that she works with is um, kind of the, the idea that people are monstrous mm. and like Hannah Arendt's idea of the banality of evil and how mm. evil is so ordinary and that's like the scariest thing of all like it's not the creature from the mm-hmm. black lagoon or whatever but it's like the harm that we do on a daily basis to one another and how it's just normal people living their lives doing harm mm-hmm. uh, and not some specter out there that's great that also I mean I said something about Rosemary's baby earlier but 
Stepford Wives, Rosemary, Rosemary's Babies, things that are supposed to be like, feel suburban, mm-hmm. feel domestic. And those are the most insidious monsters of all, mm-hmm. including patriarchy. That's great. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that article. Thank yeah, you, it's Sarah. it's really good. Would, would recommend reading the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So if there were a sequel to Phantom of the Opera, although there already is one called Love Never Dies, which is... <laughs> which is a romantic musical with music by Andrew Lloyd Webber and then lyrics by, you know, other people from 2010. Terrible. Trash fire. Lindsay Ellis, the video essayist um, YouTuber, has a video about this that just came out in October 2021. Fantastic. Please watch. Um, But if that didn't exist and there were actually a sequel, (gasps) do you think the sequel to Phantom of the Opera would just be Crimson Peak? Because Raul is Tom Hiddleston. (laughs) I mean, could be. He appears to be at first. Maybe. I would love a Crimson Peak musical. (laughs) Mm, We gotta get it to happen. That would be cool. What do you think it would Mm, be? I like the idea of her thinking she's going to be really happy with Raul and then she moves to a gothic mansion. Mm. And I don't want to keep traumatizing Christine, but I would actually really like to see this. But then we have to get the optometrist to come. And where are we going to find the optometrist? Who has the budget for the optometrist? And all of that equipment. <laughs> I, we can make it happen. If anyone, it's it's Andy. Andy LW. Andy LW. Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Wow. I love it. So in conclusion, uh, my five points were disguises, death motifs, spooky dungeon, Christine's a final girl, and patriarchy. Are you convinced that Phantom is indeed a Halloween movie and to the best Halloween movie? The best compared to Crimson Peak or in general? Yeah, in general. (laughs) It breaks my heart to say this because Tom Hiddleston is my movie husband. (laughs) (gasps) Oh, wait, I'm excited now. I just went through five emotions. (laughs) (laughs) but i think you're right because (gasps) like also the i mean just the the ambiance that the music creates Mm. is much more powerful Mm. than yeah i i think it adds an extra dimension to it that pushes it over the edge i think for me even though Mm -hmm. i do love a good cravat wearing hero or not anti-hero. <laughs> True. <sighs> Amazing. Yay! I'm so happy to have convinced you. My work here is done. I feel like yes, I deserve a medal or something. Can we at least say that Crimson Peak was a contender? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Good. That was, it was a hard fight. Okay. A lot of blood That's everywhere. <laughs> and swords <gasps> on tombs in a graveyard. They had a duel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. The one thing that I do really want to know if there were going, well, I guess there is, but I want to know more about the relationship between Christine's like, I don't know. I I guess she's the instructor Mm. for the ballerinas, like the dance instructor that she has with the phantom. Oh, Madame Jury. Yes, (laughs) because they, she acts like she has a relationship with him, but then won't tell people about it. Mm-hmm. And she tells Raul to put his hand at the level oh of his eyes gosh. so that yes. if the noose comes down, he won't 
get hanged. Uh huh. It's like, how did she know that? How did she know? Is she his mom? Mom. Yeah, because she knew him as a kid. Because there's like a revelation. She was like, oh, and he was, and this happened. And in the movie, at least, he was like in a circus, which is terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't remember if she rescued him from the circus, but there is something. Yeah. So we're going to have to do some fanfic (laughs) and develop this (laughs) relationship even further. Dang. Well, we gave it a good run. everyone has enjoyed this special edition of Mystics and Mulder. We always say, oh, these special episodes are going to be like 20 minutes. We've spent over an hour talking about Crimson Peak and Phantom of the Opera. So an hour well spent. I mean, they need their time in the sun. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. You can find Mystics and Mulder at Twitter, at Mystics and Mulder, Tumblr, Mystics and Mulder, Facebook, Mystics Mulder Podcast, Instagram at Mystics Mulder Podcast, and our website, mysticsmulder.com. I'd also like to say on our website, I don't know, we've barely talked about this, but we have a lot of stuff on our website. We have Spotify playlists, including a Johnny Finn playlist filled with our favorite songs that we talked about, one of our favorite singer-songwriters. Uh, We have our funeral playlists, and we also have Maeve's classic spooky dance party playlist full of the best bops for your Halloween party. Um, You can email us at mysticsandmolder at gmail.com, and I don't know if we've ever mentioned this, but you can support us. We have merch. We have Redbubble sticker merch, and we also have a Patreon, so if you like what we do and feel like helping us continue this passion project of ours feel free to become a member or buy some merch our merch is so cute (laughs) we have two different types one that sarah designed and one that our friend savannah and cole designed and they're equally amazing so get your merch (laughs) while you can wrap us around the (laughs) cité Um, thanks to Motion, who does our intro and outro music. Yeah, All right. you can check Motion out on Spotify. They're a Chicago-based artist. Lots of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>